0: Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains discussion of murder and racism. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13.
1: September eleventh, two 2001, was the deadliest terrorist attack to ever happen on American soil, killing over 2,700 people. And as the dust settled, an unlikely hero emerged, New York City mayor, Rudy Giuliani.
0: Giuliani's authoritative composure in the face of such tragedy earned him national fame as America's mayor. After leaving office, he parlayed his popularity into a best-selling memoir, not to mention $10 million in speaking fees and two failed campaigns for president. Anti-terrorism became his platform. He mentioned 9-11 all the time.
1: It even came up on August 15th, 2016, at a campaign rally for presidential nominee Donald Trump in Ohio. On stage, Giuliani credited Trump's running mate, Mike Pence, for working on the House Foreign Affairs and Judiciary Committees during 9-11.
0: But just minutes later, Giuliani made a statement that raised eyebrows. He seemed to completely forget the very tragedy that propelled him to fame. Giuliani said, quote, Before Obama came along, we didn't have any successful radical Islamic terrorist attack inside
1: the United States. We always promised that we'd never forget 9-11. But did we? Even for those who were there, there are parts of the collective memory that we've conveniently let slip away. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
0: Normally, we take things story by story, conspiracy by conspiracy, but in remembrance of the September 11th attacks, we are doing something a little different.
1: This is the final part of our six-episode special series. We've explored how the attacks on September 11th, 2001 unfolded in New York City and Washington, D.C. We've taken deep dives into the wild conspiracy theories that spawned in its wake and the stark reality behind these rumors.
0: Today, we'll close this special by looking at the legacy of 9-11 and how the memory of that day impacted the world in unexpected ways. Over the years, the tragedy inspired a spike in Islamophobia, hurtful media coverage, and exploitative New York City tourism.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. With BetterHelp, visit BetterHelp.com/conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/conspiracy.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
0: In early 2001, 46-year-old Wakar Hassan moved to Dallas, Texas, A Pakistani Muslim searching for the American dream, Hassan hoped to relocate his entire family to the Lone Star State.
1: He found a home and opened his own convenience store, Mom's Grocery, in the Pleasant Grove neighborhood. It was all going according to plan, but September 11th changed everything.
0: After the attacks, news reports constantly showed a photo of the main suspect, Osama bin Laden. Reporters and politicians alike repeated bin Laden's claim that his terrorism was done in the name of Islam, despite receiving disapproval from Muslims worldwide.
1: Regardless of bin Laden's supposedly religious ideology, conflating al-Qaeda with Islam is like conflating the KKK with Christianity. The actions of a small group of terrorists don't reflect anything about the religion at large.
0: But still, some Americans began to associate Islam with terrorism and violence. This caused a stark rise in discrimination and harassment against Muslim Americans like Wakar Hassan. After 9-11, he and his family felt isolated from their community and even feared for their lives.
1: And sadly, their fears were well-founded.
0: On September 15th, four days after nine eleven. Hassan was grilling hamburgers in his store when 31-year-old Mark Strowman walked in.
1: Strowman was a staunch white supremacist and an Aryan Brotherhood member. His anger had simmered since the attacks, and that day it boiled over. Strowman drew his gun and fatally shot Hassan in the head.
0: Hassan was only one of many victims of violence. According to the FBI, after September 11th, Anti-Muslim hate crimes increased by a staggering 1,600%.
1: And the violence wasn't only directed at Muslims. Many ignorant Americans targeted anyone they thought was Muslim, which meant any South Asians, including Hindus and Sikhs. In the first month after 9-11, the Sikhs Coalition Advocacy Group received over 300 reports of violence and discrimination against Sikhs.
0: The stark increase in hate crimes may have something to do with the government's own treatment of Muslim Americans.
1: In the months following 9-11, President George W. Bush emphasized that Islam wasn't the enemy, global terrorism was. Yet his words held little weight when compared to his administration's actions, which painted a much different picture.
0: On November 19, 2001, Bush signed a bill creating a new federal airport security agency, the Transportation Security Authority, or TSA.
1: Eventually, the TSA became part of the Department of Homeland Security, which has a policy against racial and ethnic profiling. But there was one exception. Homeland Security encouraged the TSA to look at passengers' connections to, quote, countries associated with significant terrorist activity.
0: That meant singling out Arabs and South Asians as threats, even if they were completely innocent.
1: According to CBS News, before 9-11, the no-fly list had just 16 names, but by 2006, the list swelled to 44,000 suspected terrorists. An additional 75,000 names were flagged for additional screening.
0: The TSA also placed undercover air marshals on flights to be on the lookout for supposed hijackers. And in some instances, these marshals detained suspects without any proof.
1: On August 31, 2002, 54-year-old Dr. Bob Rajkumar flew from Atlanta to Philadelphia. He was a U.S. citizen of Indian descent, as well as a former U.S. Army Reserve Lieutenant Colonel. As he sat in first class with his wife, the flight was mostly uneventful.
0: But when the plane landed, the air marshals on board handcuffed Raj Kumar. When he asked why he was being detained, one marshal said, quote, We didn't like the way you look.
1: The marshals kept Raj Kumar in a jail cell for four hours, then released him without any apology. Eight months later, Raj Kumar filed a lawsuit, arguing that his arrest violated the writ of habeas corpus, which requires proof of wrongdoing to keep someone in custody.
0: The landmark case quickly reached a settlement in July of 2003. Raj Kumar's major victory prompted the TSA to change its policy on racial
1: profiling. Unfortunately, Islamophobia persisted for decades after. According to the FBI. Anti-Muslim hate crimes remained high, but leveled off in the 2010s. However, starting in late 2015, there was another spike.
0: That was the same year that Donald Trump launched a xenophobic, anti-Muslim presidential campaign. News channels replayed Trump's comments over and over again, including his false claim that Muslims in New Jersey cheered about 9-11.
1: A 2017 study from the University of California, San Diego found that 14.2% of all available news broadcasts that year were about Muslims and were mostly negative. The study also found that watching the negative press coverage prompted a small increase in the respondents' resentment toward Muslim Americans.
0: Given the spike in hate crimes around this same time, real-world data seems to support these findings. Intentionally or not, the media was complicit in the increase of Islamophobia in the late 2010s as well as after 9-11.
1: But how the media should address tragedies like 9-11 doesn't have a clear or right answer. The only thing we've witnessed over the past 20 years is that there have been plenty of wrong ones.
0: Coming up, the strange paradox of 9-11. The media... Versus the movies.
1: Once upon a time, I thought I met Mr. Wright. The only problem, he was a huge liar. You were going out of your mind because you couldn't figure it out. I'm Abby Ellen. Join me as I tell the story of one con man who entangled his lovers, friends, co workers, family, and me in an identity fraud scheme that stretched all the way to the Pentagon. Season two of Imposters of the Commander, a Spotify original from Parcast, premieres Monday, September 13th follow and listen exclusively on Spotify.
0: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. Now back to the story.
1: TV news networks are always on and always looking for the next big scoop. And as the old adage says, if it bleeds, it leads.
0: On September 11th, 2001... News channels replayed footage of the planes flying into the Twin Towers over and over. Of course, the main intention was to inform the public of what happened. But naturally, many viewers complained that the videos were distressing.
1: On top of that, psychologists warned that the repeated video could negatively affect children, especially those who couldn't discern the difference between live news and replays. In 2007, A study published in the Journal of Anxiety Disorders looked into these effects. It found that the more a child under 10 had watched TV programming on 9-11, the more likely they were to have post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: For those reasons, in the days after 9-11, CBS and NBC News instituted a policy to only use the video sparingly. ABC News completely banned any footage of the planes hitting the towers Their broadcasts could only use still photos, but they made one exception to this rule, the anniversary.
1: As the fifth anniversary of the day approached in 2006, MSNBC general manager Dan Abrams felt like 9-11 was, quote, fading into the background for many. So he and the network brass decided to rebroadcast unedited 9-11 attack coverage that originally ran on its parent network, NBC.
0: According to Slate, the network saw a 37% ratings increase during the 9-11 coverage replay. For the most part, viewers supported it enough for the replay to become an MSNBC tradition.
1: But there's a fine line between commemorating September 11th and unnecessarily reliving a past trauma. And for some viewers, MSNBC's yearly tribute was the latter.
0: In the coming years, viewers complained that MSNBC's replay was in poor taste, calling it, quote, ghoulish and death porn. Sandro Galea, dean of the Boston University School of Public Health, told Slate rewatching the 9-11 footage could still bring about PTSD or depression
1: even decades after the attacks. However, that criticism hasn't just been leveled at news coverage of the attacks themselves. Even seeing the pre-9-11 Twin Towers in TV shows and movies can be traumatic for survivors.
0: Mary Fetchett, founder of the survivor advocacy group Voices of September 11th, told the New York Times that, quote, For a lot of people in our community, the images of the towers remain a very difficult and unpredictable trigger.
1: With that in mind, movie executives decided to digitally remove the World Trade Center from pop culture altogether. Shots of the buildings were deleted from movies and TV shows, from Spider-Man to Sex in the City to The Sopranos. Fox banned an entire episode of The Simpsons that featured the Twin Towers.
0: Meanwhile, upcoming movies faced an unofficial Hollywood moratorium on skyscraper violence. The disaster film genre was halted for new productions, and there would be no movies about 9-11
1: but only for a few years. By 2006, the embargo seemingly ended and cinemas were flooded with movies about the attacks. Some, like World Trade Center and United 93, were well-received and critically acclaimed.
0: Others were found to be in poor taste. In the 2010s, movies like Remember Me and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close used 9-11 as a plot device, Critics panned both films, calling them exploitative and offensive.
1: Suddenly, a national tragedy was reduced to a cinematic cliché. To some survivors, these media portrayals were an insult to the memories that were permanently etched in their minds. Memories that, in a way, had almost become sacred.
0: In the years after 2001, Surrounded by dramatizations of that day, it became common for people to ask each other, where were you on 9-11?
1: Everyone has a different answer. Some were in Lower Manhattan during the attacks and saw the towers collapse into rubble. Others watched the day unfold from miles away, though still frightened for their safety. And everywhere, many people lost friends and families in the attacks.
0: In a 2016 Arizona Republic article, S.E. Schlosser theorized that the question is actually a social code. She writes, quote, It was an oblique way we had of asking perfect strangers the unthinkable questions without really asking. What we really wanted to say was, Will you understand my pain? Will I understand yours?
1: In recent years, publications like the Los Angeles Times and The Atlantic have published reader recollections of 9-11. In 2011, a similar retrospective hit the big screen in a documentary called 9-11, Where Were You?
0: Those reflections have been long treasured, and for some, it's all they have left of lost loved ones. And it certainly opens up the question of why we're able to remember where we were during a national tragedy better than anything else.
1: According to the Journal of Experimental Psychology, the experience becomes a flashbulb memory.
0: A flashbulb memory involves an out of the ordinary, emotionally charged event that seems seared into the brain, impossible to forget the details of, or so it seems.
1: In 2010, a national study found that as much as we cling to our 9-11 recollections, The details in them aren't entirely correct. The research involved surveying more than 3,000 people across the country one week, a year, and three years after the attacks.
0: Of course, all the respondents recalled the attacks happening, but their personal memories of the day grew more inaccurate over time. A year later, only 60% of respondents accurately recalled the day. Three years later, that percentage dropped to 57%.
1: Sadly, it seems that forgetting 9-11 has nothing to do with agendas or poor taste. It's simply human. As more memories are added, it's harder to recall the specifics of each one exactly as they happened. But even as the memory faded, some survivors of the attacks were left with permanent scars, emotional and physical.
0: Up next... First responders reel with illnesses post 9-11.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story.
1: Thousands of people experienced physical injuries from the September 11th, 2001 attacks. Some escaped with just cuts and bruises, but others suffered broken bones, sprains, and trauma from being hit by falling objects.
0: What went unspoken for years, though, were long-lasting afflictions which have persisted long after 9-11, and most of them impacted first responders who still experience health issues even today.
1: In the weeks and months after 9-11 many nypd fdny and recovery workers searched the rubble for their fallen colleagues the fdny provided breathing masks for rescue workers but it wasn't nearly enough protection
0: the twin towers collapse left a 16 acre toxic dust cloud across new york and new jersey The air was filled with asbestos, freon, carcinogens, concrete, glass fibers, and lead. And all of that was especially dangerous to humans, especially the 90,000 recovery personnel who were exposed.
1: But at the time, EPA Administrator Christine Todd Whitman told first responders that the air was safe. She later apologized, saying, quote, We did the very best we could at the time with the knowledge we had.
0: Years later, recovery personnel started to feel the effects of those toxins. A 2018 study by the University of Minnesota found that 9-11 first responders have a 282% greater chance of developing asthma than the general population.
1: That wasn't the worst of it either. Another study by the Mount Sinai Icon School of Medicine found that 9-11 rescuers had an elevated 9% risk of developing any cancer. According to the Centers for Disease Control, over 12,000 first responders have cancer caused by 9-11 as of this recording. In the months
0: after September 11, 2001, rescue workers were heralded as heroes. America vowed to never forget their sacrifice. And yet, the U.S. government seemed to abandon them when they became ill as a result of that
1: sacrifice. In the 2000s, New York politicians introduced several laws to help 9-11 recovery workers with long-term health care, but they stalled. Legislatures were skeptical that the toxic dust caused by the World Trade Center's collapse actually caused health issues like cancer. Until... White Plains attorney David E. Warby came along.
0: In 2004, Warby represented 800 first responders who developed various illnesses after 9-11 in a class action lawsuit. As the case continued, that number ballooned to a staggering 10,000 rescue workers.
1: The case was filed against New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, as well as the WTC Captive Insurance Company, the company handling money set aside by Congress for 9-11 health claims.
0: None of Warby's clients had seen a dime from that fund. It was clear that the procedure for caring for 9-11 rescuers was broken. And all the while, first responders were getting sicker by the day. Over 1,000 of Warby's clients died during the six-year lawsuit.
1: Ultimately, Warby was victorious. In December of 2010, the case reached a $1 billion settlement. Not only did this earn thousands of NYPD and FDNY personnel restitution, but it legally proved that the 9-11 toxic dust caused illnesses such as cancer.
0: With that link in place... Congress finally passed a law to help first responders just a month later. The James Adroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act was named for a former NYPD detective who died from a respiratory disease caused by the toxic dust in 2006. He was believed to be the first 9-11 worker to die from toxic exposure.
1: The law established the World Trade Center Health Program, which provided medical benefits and treatment for 9-11 rescue workers and survivors. It was a huge victory, but unfortunately, it had a limited tenure. The act expired in 2015.
0: Some survivors were determined not to let the program die, including firefighter Ray Pfeiffer.
1: After 9-11, Pfeiffer dug through the wreckage at Ground Zero for eight months, searching for his fallen colleagues. By 2009, he developed renal cancer as a result of toxic exposure. He had a tumor in his abdomen that prevented him from walking, and soon the cancer spread around his body.
0: In 2015, Pfeiffer passionately joined the fight to extend the Zadroga Act Pfeiffer testified on Capitol Hill with former NYPD bomb squad detective Luis Alvarez, who also had colorectal cancer, and comedian John Stewart. The former Daily Show host had been a longtime advocate for a permanent 9-11 victims fund. On June 11, 2015, a clip of his speech went viral, bringing more publicity to the cause. Here's an excerpt.
2: And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a a 9-11 New York issue. Al Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back it's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon to remind us of why this country is great of why this country is worth fighting for and you are ignoring them
1: stewart's remarks along with alvarez and pfeiffer's statements struck a chord with congress a day later on june 12 2015 the House Judiciary Committee unanimously voted to permanently reauthorize the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund. Yet it would be four more years until the bill was signed into law in July 2019.
0: Unfortunately, Pfeiffer and Alvarez weren't alive to see the law implemented. Pfeiffer passed away in 2017 and Alvarez in June of 2019. To honor them, their names were added to the bill's name, joining Zadroga.
1: As of 2019, the 9-11 Memorial finally includes a tribute to the rescue workers who succumbed to illnesses caused by their work at Ground Zero. The Memorial Glade contains
0: six large stone monoliths embedded with steel from the World Trade Center. It stands in a vast eight-acre memorial in lower Manhattan, where the World Trade Center complex once stood. The former sites of the North and South Towers are now the site of two peaceful square fountains.
1: The cascading waterfalls are surrounded by bronze parapets inscribed with the names of all of 9-11's victims, as well as the six individuals who died during the 1993 World Trade Center bombing.
0: In May of 2014, a museum opened at the memorial site, The collection includes portraits of the victims, steel from the Twin Towers, recordings of phone calls, and a pair of bloodied shoes.
1: Many first appreciated the touching tribute to those who perished in the attacks, only to be stunned by the admission ticket price, $24.
0: An apparent cash grab for a museum intended to preserve the memory of the dead.
1: In response to the backlash, Memorial Foundation Chair and former NYC Mayor Michael Bloomberg defended the fee. He said that the high cost was necessary to fund the memorial and museum's operations. As of this recording, the museum's ticket price has risen to $26, but it's free for 9-11 family members and rescue workers.
0: Like many museums, this one also has a gift shop, which carries T-shirts and coffee mugs adorned with the phrase, Never forget. Suddenly, trauma is for sale.
1: The families of victims spoke out against the merchandise, calling it crass commercialism, and accused the museum of capitalizing on a tragedy. In response, spokesperson Michael Frazier said that, like the expensive tickets, the gift shop helped fund museum operations.
0: The memorial, though, wasn't the only location in lower Manhattan banking on 9-11 tourism.
1: As we previously mentioned, the World Trade Center was a transit hub that housed an underground shopping mall, and in a city that values public transportation and tourism, it was necessary to bring both back to the area.
0: Inevitably, a bigger and better complex rose in its place. In 2016, the World Trade Center transportation hub opened with brand-new subway and path transit stations inside. Above the trains is a new mall, with high-end stores like Breitling, John Varvatos, and Smytheson.
1: The transportation hub's design includes an architectural marvel called the Oculus, a $4 billion white steel structure that resembles a dove from certain angles. While in theory that sounds very elegant, New Yorkers called the resulting design an eyesore and a, quote, shrine to government waste and idiocy. For some visitors now, the new trio of buildings that stand where the towers once were, One World Trade Center, the Oculus, and the 9-11 Memorial have become must-see destinations.
0: The 9-11 Memorial alone welcomes 9,000 visitors a day, which is 10 million guests a year. Most of those guests solemnly remember the fallen, but other tourists have used the site as a backdrop for selfies. This quickly began to offend New Yorkers, especially 9-11 survivors.
1: Writer Rita Lucier wrote an op-ed in the New York Daily News pleading with tourists not to take glamor shots at the memorial.
0: And yet the Instagram elite persisted and some made money from it too. In 2019, Many influencers posted to commemorate the 18th anniversary of the attacks, and simultaneously to promote brand partnerships. That year alone, an insider article counted at least 17 influencers who posted glamorous selfies, tagged fashion companies, and used the hashtag, #NeverForget. forget all on the same post.
1: It's stunning to think that the worst terrorist attack that ever occurred on American soil has been reduced to a hashtag.
0: It's as if we've reached a point where we don't remember why we say it. Never forget. We know that 9-11's legacy should be more than a buzzy phrase on a t-shirt, or a conspiracy theory, or a media ratings grab. But it still happens.
1: It's a difficult balance that still deserves more thought. Because September 11th, 2001 will always be more than just a simple memory. It's an event that shaped the past two decades of life for the United States and for Afghanistan and Iraq as well.
0: Even if you weren't there to remember the day, you're still living in its aftermath. For tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: Until then, remember the truth isn't always the best story.
0: And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Mackenzie Moore and Kate Gallagher. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.